0: Everybody and welcome to the very 120th episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. Uh, my name is Quinton Smith, and I am joined by Ava Foxfort. Hello. And Tom Brewster. Hello. And we're going to be talking about some board games uh, today. We're also broadcasting live from Orshucks, oh the Away Shucks. We've got Twitch chat babbling away like a babbling brook. We've got the gentle hum of uh, digital latency in my ears. Ooh, baby, it's just the kind of atmosphere that makes me want to talk about board games. (laughs) But what board games, you ask, Tom? Tom, be quiet. I'm trying to get through the intro. Tom, in this podcast, we're going to be talking about The nightmarish card game Matai and I. We're going to be talking about the beefy life simulator dominant species. We're going to be talking about the Game of Thrones board game just one more time. We're going to be talking about the 007 deck builder briefly for reasons that will become clear later. We will be talking about um, one of the French card games of the year, Oriflam. And if we have time, we might do a little natter about
1: New York Zoo. Uh, Tom, what's New York Zoo about? Aminals, having a good time together in cages. <laughs> okay, uh, well, um, <laughs> I, we have a rather special feature
0: here uh, first off though and that is I think it's time uh, after uh, a little over a year of working for us, I think it's it, we can officially call you two proud uh, employees of Shut Up and Sit Down Now. Uh, you two didn't know this but you're probationary child period has officially ended after you both did approximately oh 1, my god 000... is,
2: is this a performance review <laughs>
0: like... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the most important kind of performance review, ever Ava I'm gonna give you both your official shut up and sit down nicknames
1: I'm so excited and I'm gonna ha- well I'm gonna be as excited as I am as if I already didn't know what my nickname <laughs> is <laughs> Yeah, look,
0: there had to be some back and forth uh, here because, uh, look, nicknames are important. And if, if we know one thing about nicknames, it's that you have to give them to yourself. And that's, that's where they come from. Uh, we're going to start with Ava. Ava, I would like to hereby dub you from this point on, not Ava Foxfort, but Ava Foxfort, a.k.a. Queen Fiddle. How does that Ooh. make you sound? You're going to have questions. You're going you're to say, why Queen Fiddle? And I'm going to respond to this question.
2: I love fiddling, and I like Queen.
0: Right? Uh, uh, Yeah, that's you you know what you you pretty much summed it up there. But no, seriously, um, I wanted people at home to know that something that I think distinguishes you from the other members of Team Shut Up and Sit Down is um, an an ability to tolerate fiddliness. (laughs) Uh, I I mean, that's one way to put it. We could also say love, right? Um, Games that are that you might use adjectives like bitty um sort of uh, complicated over horrible horrible over designed you know tom you're really helping me i t- couldn't have said it better myself tom do you know the kind of games i'm talking about
1: yeah games that are kind of like a swamp that you slowly lose yourself in over an hour and really question all of your life choices by the end of right
0: yeah yeah games where you're halfway through the setup and you're thinking i don't want to do this anymore
1: but your yeah. friend is already coming <laughs> over yeah exactly so ava you know you're the queen of that so congratulations. Thanks, I love it.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of fair. Like, I don't, uh, I don't know. I think I've got a problem that I'm like, I'm the fan of, I'm a fan of games that I also, like, refuse to recommend to anyone. Like, if people ask me what my favourite <laughs> game is, they tend to be like, oh, it's Mage Knight, but don't play it. You'll absolutely right, hate yeah. it, unless you have, like, a weekend of training with me. Like, do you want to come on a retreat and we'll spend, <laughs> spend the weekend? Like, I'll teach you how to play Mage Knight, and maybe by the end of it you'll have a clue what's going on. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm busted by it, but, like, I do love these things. I do love it when, like, a rule just makes something a bit complicated in a way that is exciting. Like, for me, it's about the fact mm. that I quite love... I like mechanics that kind of make a game chewier and weirder and ideally like add some bit of theme or drama or something in. Like, you know, a big part of this is basically that I like I think I like uh war games and historical games more than anybody else here. That, that, that's it. Any possibly anyone
0: ever, but definitely more than anyone on, on the podcast. Um, do you want to talk just a little bit because I think um, people listening to this might assume that lots of the games we talk about, games we talk about, are war games, um, but it's it's not true. Within board games, within the taxonomy, war games are their own thing, right?
2: Yeah, so I think people often use the term conflict simulation, uh, and it's basically something that is trying to pick something real that happened, or occasionally things that could potentially happen, but with like a kind of emphasis on realism. Um, and uh, try and let you, like, inhabit that period or that event or that fight or something. Um, uh, Yeah, so not just, like, oh, there's some people in space fighting, but something that's like, right, so in 1754, this particular (laughs) battlefield (laughs) had this type of mud, and we think that that's exciting, so we're going to create rules to make that um and while i don't actually go quite that deep in that particular mud i think there's i think there's something really exciting about things that you you look at the rules and you're like oh my god it's got it's got a chart here for like whether henry the eighth's wife has a child or not like what what am i what am i
0: doing here Um, i definitely know i'm out of my depth when a war game has rules for not just like forest and and sort of grass but specific kinds of forest Mm. forest. because i'm thinking specifically about combat commander here one of your favorite games and a very well liked game but i i tried combat commander over i can't be dealing with it there's too many charts there's too many rules there's too many you know what it is it's that multi-step part where it's like it's not just you roll a dice and a thing happens it's you roll a dice and then you follow that flow chart of well if then and then but then simulate this. Am I? Is this making sense? I mean, I mean, yeah. But
2: you've you've missed. Like, yes. Yeah, so, okay, right. Come back, commander. <laughs> right, first <laughs> up. First up. Like, actually, like deciding what you have to roll in order to hit something involves, like, when I was playing it, like my friend had a. Line laser pointer to kind of analyse the distance between <laughs> the two spaces. Look for all of the obstacles. Some things add points, some things lower points. You work out what the defenses, you work out what the differences. It's horrible. Basically, you mm. need someone else who likes these games more than you <laughs> to do the math side <laughs> of it, and you say, uh, "So how much is it to hit over here?" Like they do about like two minutes of calculation, and then give you a number. It's like, right, great. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tr- go over here instead. Yeah. But, 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 what you missed out though is you started talking about rolling dice and actually Combat Commander, like the, the thing that's amazing about it is there is no dice in the game. You've got this one enormous deck of cards per player and that is potentially per army in like throughout various expansions, like the entirety of World War Two. Suddenly Paranoid is not World War II. Yeah, it is World War II. <laughs> um, <laughs> So you've got a deck for each army that's this enormous thing and it's also in the bottom corner. This these, this deck does so much work and that work is all fiddle, like no doubt about it. But like, so one of the things it's got is in the corner of each card, it's got two dice drawn. So you've got a distribution as if you had rolling two dice over and over again, but it's done fairly because it's in the deck. Um. But then like, there's a little box around some of the dice so if you roll certain results it'll actually be like right okay you tried to shoot someone but now an event's happened so you then draw the next card in the deck which means some random thing happens and like each card has a different (laughs) random thing so it can be like oh my god someone in that shed over there has turned out to be like a world war two hero like a legend who like boosts everyone's morale And you send them off, and then they die immediately. And like that's okay. That's what happens. Unfortunately, it is horrible. I would like to say, like, I don't (laughs) like glorifying war. I'm really, really not a fan of like looking at these things. You do like Combat
0: Commander. (laughs) You do like the fiddly simulation of the glorification of. It's not even the glorification. To be to be fair to you, when I played Combat Commander, it it is a a war game that really drives home how horrible war is. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of not being able to do what you want to do it's 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 a yeah it's like being caught in gears some of the time
2: yeah yeah it's definitely like i mean it's trying to simulate like how hard it is to actually be a group of people trying to like walk across a bit of countryside that's trying to kill you all of the time (laughs) and and it is it is it is quite bleak like and i you know the 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 last game that I played, I remember spending like, I think we were were playing for like three or four hours and I looked at the board and realised that nothing had changed in those three (laughs) or four hours, despite the fact that both of us had had our hearts in our mouths for the entire time. Like Mm. everything was really stressful. Everything was really eventful. But like the overall scenario didn't change because it's horrible. Like machine guns are horrible things that just like pin people in place and just lead to... Stalemates. I don't know. I don't know. I want to get well, back the- to the fiddle here and just be like, it's yes. not all about like getting stuck in trenches.
0: If there's an opposite to machine guns, if there's an opposite to machine guns, it could be Matai and I to try and drag this car that I <laughs> back took to off the we rails back onto go. the yeah, track. Yeah, yeah, yep.
2: <laughs> so yeah, yep. so matino was my um application review, which is a video that I hope nobody ever, ever sees. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, where I went for a little walk down the river uh, down by the river and I talked about like this game that um, it's the only game that I've ever talked to someone who has actually like, it's the only time I've ever had someone tap out of a game that theoretically could take about twenty minutes and to tap out about like two turns in and just be like, look, there's no way this this isn't happening. <laughs> right. I'm not doing this. So it is Like they
0: couldn't learn it or they didn't They couldn't learn it. To. They couldn't
2: get their head around it. They couldn't um couldn't follow what I was saying at all. Um and it is it is that sort of game where the first game you will not have a clue what's going on. A lot of things feel random. The aim of the game, like every, you've got a deck of cards, it's all unique items that might be being built in a Buddhist monastery, um, except a Buddhist monastery with a gift shop and an art gallery in it. <laughs> <laughs> but if you the build the right kind. things in those places, then that might win you the game. But it also empowers whether you'll help helpers as they come along, or oh, there's so much going on in it. But the reason why i went for a little walk down the river right, is that like this game is it's, it is my favorite game it is probably my favorite game i'd already said once this podcast that mage night was my favorite game matano is also my favorite game <laughs> i don't care that's okay i'm allowed to have two favorites um it's a game of discovering what you can do like i've been playing i've played this game so many times i played this game over and over again and each time that i look at a hand of cards at the beginning of my game i notice that there's some new way that i can pull myself through it the r- one now that the rules have come smoothly to me i feel less like i'm kind of like wrestling a giant mechanical octopus into a bucket and more like i'm just like swimming <laughs> and just being like ah, oh, let's see what happens this time and Each card has like a unique special rule that may get activated during the game that can bend all of the rules in the game and change the shape of what you're doing, which means that every single game is totally different. And it feels, to me, it feels meditative to play it. To me, it feels like I get into this zone where I'm processing the cards and doing the actions and just discovering like an entirely new thing every game. And like, I've not played another game that does that. Well, actually, no, that's not true. I've played other games by Carl Triddick, the designer who <laughs> has a tendency to make games that feel a bit like that, except when he doesn't and then it's something entirely different. Um, yeah, and it's it's beautiful. I find it like incredibly meditative and I don't even think it's fiddly once you know it. Um, mm-hmm. But that's the thing that I hate saying to people. I hate it when people say like, oh yeah, you should watch this series on Netflix. It's really takes a while to get going but by season four you'll love it yeah. <laughs> and I feel like when I'm trying to say to someone if I'm trying to get people down a table and I want to play a game the fact is that a lot of the games I love the most I end up leaving on the shelf most of the time because having to go through those hurdles having to go through that fiddle having to teach something that might just not get into someone's head isn't um isn't kind of what i'm here for most of the time which is why i really love the friends of mine who absolutely put up with my uh bull stuff <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is a this is the thing about chelit games though because i uh in a similar vein i was like i said to some of my friends we should play innovation on bga uh, and we'll play uh one game of that we'll play it real quick and then we'll play another one and then by the second game everyone's going to know what they're doing a little bit more like we can learn as we go that game of innovation is still going and it has (laughs) been going for two months (laughs) and speaking of which i will use this live platform to say stan take your turn please (laughs) come on (laughs) it's that game is an absolute like nightmare first time round and i can only assume it'll be better second time round because i don't think i'll ever play it again
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh it's great though it's great though i'm still in um my like long running duel with someone playing innovation and i'm still discovering like we just actually finished like one of the most like breathtakingly like weird games that i've ever played where my opponent had I think he said that he thought that he had more than half of the cards in the deck in like this, <laughs> this game that has like 10 decks of cards. Uh, yeah, he think he had more than half of the cards in his tableau in front of him. <laughs> um, but really I got doesn't. up to like five points which I needed six points to win and I got up to five things and I just had to get one more but he managed to like just just pull all of my score away from me so yeah (laughs) and I, I was just racing to try and do something while he was trying to race to do something else and it's just so weird and I love it and every game is different and every card is feels broken and Like, things
0: feel incredibly powerful
2: (laughs) at the beginning, and then it turns out that things can be ten times more powerful. But they will... I don't know. I don't know.
0: Well, Ava, so long as we've got you on the podcast uh, providing professional validation by uh, you espousing your love for things that I cannot be bothered to play, (laughs) uh, let's talk a bit about Dominant Species, because this was a game that uh, Shut Up and Sit Down bounced hard off based on one play a long time ago. Um, and I think we our experience of it was initially you know just excitement to play the dominant species, this game that everyone espouses as so masterful, and we thought, oh, look it 's cool that g m t games, a company that usually publish fiddly war games, have made a game that isn't a fiddly war game, however, <laughs> dominant species has a lot of DNA in common with the same war games we were just talking about, yeah. a lot of complicated sub rules i mean ugh, those g m though I now have such a physical sadness sad response when i see that gmt manual which are you know they're all structured by numbers with oh. um decimal places <laughs> so you're not reading the introduction you're reading introduction 1.1 1. 1. 1. 1, and yeah. you're like yeah that you know, tom tom knows what i'm talking about
1: <laughs> uh, after bouncing hard off a distant plane multiple times i definitely do know what you're talking about despite wanting to love that game uh, i'll get to it eventually
2: and, uh, the problem with the problem with uh, a distant plane which i've not i've not gone into playing it is one of the ones that i haven't like is that what i will recommend is that actually you should try and play cuba libre first <laughs> which will teach you
1: 80 you're percent the of the rules <laughs> you're, you're the four series netflix person again i, know, I hate myself
2: it's horrible
1: <laughs> okay Dominant
2: Species, right. So it does definitely share the DNA and literally uh, Chad Jensen designed both Dominant Species and Combat Commander. Um, Oh, really? uh, Yeah. Yeah. Who who sadly passed away last year or a million years ago, or I don't know exactly how far in time that was.
0: You've covered your bases there. (laughs) Like
2: it could have been, I don't know. It might have been three months ago and I it would still feel like it was a year ago so um but like bless him because i think he's a wonderful wonderful designer and i'm really like fascinated by his stuff and dominant species i would say is like in the 10 percent like simplest gmt games (laughs) by quite a large margin (laughs) and it's actually got like a manual where the text is just a little bit bigger, and it's a little bit easier to kind of sink into. But it is ridiculous. Um, Dominant Species is a game about set in ninety thousand, yeah, 90 thousand BC, <laughs> um, in which you play not a species, but like the. Stochastic forces of evolution upon a family of species. So you <laughs> this might is be my
0: favorite. I mean, or the way I describe it simply is: you don't play a spider; you play all spiders. All spiders. spiders. <laughs>
2: yeah, you can literally play all spiders at the same time in this game. Or you might be all all lizards. Or you might be all mammals. Or or whatever. You pick a thing. Every each, um, each possible like species family that you can take has their own unique special ability that bends some of the rules, um, and it's. A game of trying to accumulate victory points because there's an ice age coming and everyone's going to die (laughs) soon. Which feels feels real. Um, And yeah, it is... It's a bear to learn. It's one of those ones that has, like... So there's two different concepts. Like, it's an area control game, which means that if you've got the most pieces in a space, you'll get victory points for it at certain times. But also because it's about survival of the fittest as well as potentially having the most cubes in a place which is having the most species in a region you may have dominance of that region and you have dominance of that region not from having the most but being the best adapted to it so if you're a if you are spiders and you love eating insects and being in the sun
1: oh, and yes. you're on a
2: tile that's got three insects and three suns around it you're going to be doing better than the amphibian that only likes eating grubs i don't know i don't know so you might be dominant in something because your symbols match up with the symbols that are on a place and they multiply together and that means that you're the best the best adapted to that particular environment at that particular time so already you've got like two different competing layers of like am i the best in this area and those also win you different things. Like having the most species in an area wins you points. But if I have you, um, if you're dominant in an area when it gets scored, you get to take one of these like ludicrously powerful, occasionally terrible, like occasionally bad for <laughs> you, dominance cards from the side of the board. Um, that let you do some completely game bending thing. You know, you might. Is end that up evolution? Sorry. Uh, yes. Yeah. Evolution. Uh, well. I think they're just called <laughs> dominance cards.
0: Sure, but thematically, as your species, is your species? No, oh,
2: no. You see, like, but the thing is, everything <laughs> no, in this no, game—no, no, no, e- no. Everything be silly. in this game is evolution. Like, I just want to, like, <laughs> I just want to, I just want to read you the turn order. Like,
0: oh, I love this, <laughs> yes.
2: So obviously, like in every game, the first thing you do on a turn is you establish initiative. Like, who's going to be going first, mm. who's doing the best at that moment. Then you go through a little flowchart of adaption, regression, abundance... Wasteland, depletion, glaciation, speciation, wonderlust, migration, Ooh. competition, and finally domination. Um, <laughs> and this flowchart is literally on the board, <laughs> and like the bef- actually before you do that bit. You're taking turns to place pawns up and down this big flowchart and saying like, oh yeah, I fancy being in control of speciation this turn. I really need to do that <laughs> this turn. So I'm going to do that. Oh no, no, I need to get me some regression action. And obviously you know, this is all ridiculous and I sound like I've like had a stroke I in mean, the Natural History Museum. I mean, my current History thoughts museum. is
0: like, Parks and Rec didn't have to invent Cones of Dunshire <laughs> to have a parody board game, did they? It could it, have just been Dominant Species. It has
2: got cones.
1: It does! I was... That's, <laughs> i was gonna say the, the 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 thing you can see on the screen right now on the little slideshow we've got going like i was on board Ball, uh ballgame geek trying to look for a uh, like a uh, a shot of the game to use and apparently that represents like a monkey eating a banana in the game of dominant species <laughs> or something like that and it's uh, what <laughs> or something i don't know like <laughs> It might have been um, a different image. I
2: think the, co- uh, the, co- the cones represent dominance, of course. Oh, so of course. So you <laughs> can keep track of that, even though you can't always see it without calculating all of the different things. So every time something changed on the door, you might have to recalculate this. Yes, I know what I sound like. <laughs> <laughs> I do know what I sound like. But what you've got here is every single one of those weird little items is a an opportunity to kind of shape the world that you're building together it's an opportunity to kind of have control over the table and the boards it's an opportunity in this planning phase when you're placing these pawns down you get to decide what powers you're going to have that turn and you're racing for them and you know that that's the best thing but do you need to get that before you do this thing are you going to really risk yourself maybe having to get dominance late in the game which means that you might have to take the thing that's going to actually annihilate your species, like. I don't know there's just so many weird tactical nuances in it, and I loved it and I don't know I don't know if my 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 experience of it I have only played one game of it at this point um but that it was the last game I played before the world fell apart really <laughs> yeah, yeah oh, I went to I probably shouldn't have gone to um a convention a week a, a week or two before lockdown because probably the government should have banned mass gatherings by that point um but that didn't happen and i was like this might it it, it felt like yeah i did it i did it i feel guilty about it but i got to play this game that i'd been like hearing was wonderful for a really long time and and i spent a whole day pretending to be i can't even remember what i was actually i think i might have been i think i might have been spiders no i wasn't spiders (laughs) spiders are too mean i can't remember but i spent a whole day getting to be like an entire family of animals and like pulling and pulling at levers to try and manipulate this world. And I basically I kind of did I was doing all right. I was doing really well about two thirds into the game, but that was not that was not good enough. Like I kind of spread <laughs> all over the board and then slowly got eaten back. So by the time that people were getting most of their points, um I was I was nowhere to be seen and I was dead last. But like it was it was such a fascinating thing and I'm really excited to be able to kind of dive into that world again.
0: I mean, um, at its simplest, one of the things that still sticks with me from Dominant Species, even though I played one game about literally eight or nine years ago, uh, is the glaciation, is the Ice Age coming. Yeah. Because it's an area control game where if memory serves, initially you have you know tons of space, but then every round more and more of the board gets turned to ice which is just flat out uninhabitable for all of you yeah. so as your species you know as you approach the sort of climax of the game there's simply less and less space which is you know pretty elegant an elegant way of modeling migration i suppose yeah
2: yeah you're you're constantly being pushed around the board and you know i mean it doesn't make any sense if you try and think about who am i in this situation am i the god of spiders but like the fact that you can be competing you can be pushing to try and get your species stronger in a space or you can be pushing to have control of the next bit of the ice age and make it so that actually i don't care whether you're winning there because i'm just going to turn it all to ice in a moment um and yeah there's just so many weird decisions in this and it is a map that is constantly evolving Mm. and the way you're interacting with each other is constantly evolving and you know it's a game about evolution so it has to be doing that it needs to be changing the rules of the board that you're playing in and there's not a lot of games that do that well that make the whole board shift as you're playing rather than Mm -hmm. just making you shift around the board in a different way and Um, you know
0: i'm thinking about how many board games have to face that you know uh, when you're dealing with area control it's so often a theme of war and it's so often players almost trying to corner themselves off or hide or, or simply setups which start players apart but if you have a theme of evolution if you have a theme of wildlife then players are on top of one another from the beginning and yeah. that becomes the design ethos and that simply i don't want to play dominant species ever again maybe but i love that setup i love yeah. that it grows outwards from the middle rather than everyone starting in the corners
2: yeah 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 yeah. and you you end up on top of that and you end up creating little niches for yourself and you end up watching them get torn apart by your your enemies and and yeah I don't know. It is a game of adaptation, and I think it—I think it works. And I'm really glad I got a chance to play it.
0: Um, oh, lovely! That is absolutely fabulous, Ava. So I think we've definitely uh, proven once and for all that Ava's nickname, Queen Fiddle, is hugely well deserved. Uh, and and now it's that it's gonna get rockier from here on in. This nickname—I think we should just present it <laughs> first, and then explain ourselves after the fact.
1: Yeah, go for it.
0: Okay, so so Tom's nickname is. Uh, did we really settle on
1: this this Uh, well (laughs) we didn't we didn't settle on anything I knew nothing about this nickname before this podcast
0: (laughs) well no it was okay so Tom's nickname is the family dumpster now I don't quite understand why. Okay, well, let me walk you through the evolution. (laughs) Mm. I love that
2: Quincy are trying to claim that you you had nothing to do with this. When this is literally, (laughs) you just walk into the Slack channel one day and you're just like, yeah, Tom, you're the family dumpster now, deal with it. (laughs) No,
0: no, no. Here's what happened. I Uh wanted Tom's nickname to be Family Man because the fact that Tom is by far the youngest member of the podcast, It's sort of our wunderkind, the idea of him being a family man struck me as is incredibly funny um but also but the reason i wanted to call him family man is because uh, tom uh, you can confirm this you have a family around you right now
1: <laughs> i do they're in this house and i'm terrified that that door's gonna open and a legion of children is gonna barrage in uh, and take over this podcast yeah exactly that <laughs> But not your children. Not Uh, my children, mind. um, My siblings. Am I pronouncing this right? Your siblings. My siblings. My many siblings.
0: Right. Uh, But no, it meant that you were equipped to actually review actual family games and put things in front of your parents and kids uh, in a way that was really useful to shut up and sit down in 2020. So I said, "Family man," right? And then you (laughs) don't put this on me. You (laughs) turned around and said, "Well, no, listen, because in Twitch, I am known as I I am trash." Now, do you want the trash? The trash man. Can you please explain this to people who don't watch our Twitch streams?
1: The reason that I was the trash man came from a very, a, a, a seminal, one of the most important streams of our short streaming career, which was a game of uh, Lords of Vegas with uh, Mike Selinker, where uh, <laughs> Mike created the game so i thought my best tactic would be just attack my little casinos onto the side of his and run a little shady um off the side business uh, where we would be serving you know subpar food off our buffet and you know i don't know stealing people's money in back alleys um, yeah. and very quickly the trash casino slowly usurped mike's casino and i think i think i ended up winning that game which was quite ferocious and twitch the whole time had my back because i became a vessel for the t- for the trash gang for all of can,
0: twitch this this is on youtube right you can see this full playthrough of, you Lords can. of Vegas. you Matt the designer Mike Selinker and Mike's best friend yes and it's about
1: five hours long if I Great. recall correctly I'm it's sure one of the longest that... streams uh...
0: okay <laughs> but apparently the greatest game of Lords of Vegas in the world ever
1: yes it was it was quite something there were dramatic swings in that game we, we played with the uh, the underworld expansion which really adds some spicy twists uh to the formula. Okay. Um, so well, it was so quite so something. Ben,
0: I was instructed to attach trash to your name. <laughs> so that's how we ended up with the family dumpster. Yes. Now I'm not saying that this is going to stick around. Mm. However, as nicknames go, I will be trying my hardest to make this stick. <laughs> um, You're like the
1: school bully.
0: Uh, no, I just really like the abbreviation Mr.
1: Dumpster. Um, I prefer Mr. Dumpster. Uh, okay. It's, that's my, it's it's uh, Trash Gang or the, the Lord of the Trash when I want to feel regal and then Mr. Dumpster when I'm in a business call. Oh,
0: that's fine. But then your first name could be Family. So Mr. <laughs> Dumpster. So I don't hey, know if Hey, my na-
1: name's Family Dumpster. Nice to
0: meet you. <laughs> or Mr. F. Dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> i like okay. mr f dumpster mr f dumpster okay good we, we're secured mm-hmm. uh now um i'm not gonna try and do a good seg here um so tom you're let's talk about your internship video
1: to join chapter yes.
0: down because um that was uh the game of thrones board game wasn't it
1: oh boy was it it was the game of thrones board game uh it's not uh the slide that's on screen that's Oraflam. but <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey there it is Hey. Uh, so uh, yeah, I did the Game of Thrones board game for my application video, which uh, again I don't want anyone to ever see ever. Um, and very soon afterwards, you and Matt published your review of the Game of Thrones board game yes. and trashed it. If it's I recall actually correctly. it's
0: worse than that because there was a written review before that, like six months. <laughs> it was to positive. The- yeah that was positive so the official shout out opinion on game of thrones was that it was good you sent in a a internship video praising it and then i published a video re-review going it's rubbish (laughs) going psych yeah basically (laughs) and and yet despite my best efforts on not wanting to hire you because we disagreed here you are anyway
1: (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately yes that was actually uh you you assessed all of the Uh, applicants i believe based on whether or not you agreed with their takes and if you didn't then just straight straight away i
0: knew that for shut up and sit down to thrive we needed more people who thought only exactly like me. The, exactly the same <laughs> yes <laughs> that's i that's i, this I mean it got and it got you this know. far so hey it literally did <laughs> no
1: it, it didn't it didn't so do, wh- <laughs> what is your relationship to the game of thrones board game then so the reason that i i covered it, i think it's interesting because i think that i now understand why it was definitely the game that i wanted to cover more than i did then i guess um mm. so like the thing that's like so important about the game of thrones board game for me is that like my early university experience which was when i was filming that review um was mostly sort of comprised of uh like monikers and avalon and games that could like cope with having lots of people and games that were really simple to teach and game of thrones was was something that i would played a lot before with friends from home but it was the first sort of proper like tabletop game that i sat down to play with like my close group around me uh in in my halls of residence and there's something about like that box that like just grabs people's attention like when you put it in front of them like the theme draws people in because people know Game of Thrones and people know like what to expect but like I think that more than that like the idea of that game like drags people in as well like the concept of at that point like in their life with board games the concept of like playing this like grand kind of like strategic box was just so like deeply appealing and like I think ultimately, like, what made that game into something bigger than itself was how I saw people respond to losing in that game. Because previously, like, tabletop games, for me, kind of served similar competitive instincts to, like, video games. They were, like, chances to be better and meaner and faster than your opponents. And all of my games of Game of Thrones were, like, definitely occupied with that before I started playing it with people who it was their sort of first-time approaching board games. Um, Because when i brought it to them they approached it more as like a piece of theater or like a Mm. a game that is surrounded by this role play like it's sated with this history for me because it's this cornerstone of introducing people to bigger and bigger boxes and because the people that i was introducing it to weren't so focused on things being competitive but were keyed into just like enjoying these strange games that were put in front of them um and like, you know, I could have done an application because we ramped it up. Like, I eventually got hooked on TI and Pandemic Legacy and Root and Concordia. And then eventually season two, like, the Pandemic games were so important to, like, my early, like, university experiences of board games. Like um, And then eventually going to this uh, copy of uh, Blood on the Clock Tower that I made out of a cardboard box. Actually, I no... I tell a lie. I made it out of a copy of a game called Libel, which was made by one of the stars of Coronation Street after he got sued for libel. But that's a story for another day. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and then but then what was so exciting is that then those friends started to get into other games from there. Like one of my friends just got really hooked on Mintworks, which was just bizarre. <laughs> like to see the way that like that group like rapidly expanded. Um so it's strange. Like it's not a game that I'm like I want to like dive in to again anytime soon like i'd often rather just sit down to something like ti because game of thrones can take as long as ti on a good day um but it's still got this place in my collection because it's so no. important to that collection
2: oh, i think there's something quite interesting in that like i'm pretty sure that at the time at that time when game when game of thrones was kind of game of thrones ruled the world for a while i mean actually once you take in the the, the tv shows and stuff but like that board game at that time, when it was Twilight Imperium Three, that had such a reputation for being so too too dense, too long. Oh, well, will we actually need two days to play that? And <laughs> yeah. was that much more complicated at the time? Game of Thrones felt like the thing that you could get people about excited excited yeah. about doing for a day. Yeah, like it had it had. Um, i think i i think i wrote a thing ages about about like the idea of something being ludogenic instead of photogenic so like something that people want Mm. to play they look at it and they're like oh god that's gonna look i can picture what we're gonna be doing i can think about the the story of it it's got all of these elements that uh yeah and i think that now the problem is that twilight imperium 4 kind of like smoothed so many of the rough edges (laughs) off that that comparing it to game of thrones uh, the second edition is it's it's just horrible i mean like you know we've called me queen fiddle and like i so despise the rules reports in game of <laughs> oh, thrones
0: i was going to say this this relates to what both of you are saying because um, my wife would never ordinarily play a game like the game of thrones board game but when the tv series were big and she was writing roundups for websites she wanted to play and she lost. And she lost because she didn't understand the port. Ports. <laughs> and in describing... It, but the, What happened next is exactly what Tom was describing of his friends being caring about the piece of theatre because my wife was playing the Lannisters and she said the idea that she didn't understand how boats worked and therefore scotched her entire assault of Westeros <laughs> was so thematic to her yeah. that she was... I've never seen someone be so thrilled that they didn't understand a rule that was poorly written. <laughs> like, it's
1: absolutely bonkers. I, I, I think like that's the, the the crucial thing is that a game like it's a it's a fiddly game. Like it's a it, you know for people that don't play board games, especially like it's but it's it's this fiddly box with like heaps of this strategy. But and it's such a step up from Monikers and Avalon, which is what I was playing previously. But that becomes a part of like the sell for why these why like my. Friends got excited about game of thrones it was like hey we're gonna play this big box it's gonna be fiddly and it's gonna be crunchy and mean and that was because it just lends itself so well to the theming it's the perfect thing to bring into like a group like that um mm-hmm. but it's not anymore because i'm not allowed to have that opinion uh because... <laughs> <laughs> oh dear well uh
0: i that i think you two have really uh helped navigate uh this segment i thank you so much for for i don't know i i introducing yourselves a little bit more to our audience (laughs) Uh, because after the work you you two have both put in this year i certainly think uh you deserve a little more a little more tlc um uh, but 10 loving
2: care in this case calling us names on camera in front (laughs) of us
1: names in front of a thousand (laughs) four hundred people it's Uh, (laughs) yeah
0: yeah so moving on, uh we're gonna talk about a few more games um not because they fit effortlessly into this conversation but because we tease them at the top of the podcast and because we've got slides for them uh, so Tom and I uh filmed uh something a bit special for this um if you're listening to this as a podcast, you may be surprised to see that on our YouTube channel right now are I think a total of thirty preview videos of um up and coming games or new games. Um, that were filmed by Tom and myself because publishers couldn't demo games in person to people as they would in a normal year. So on the Shut and Sit Down YouTube channel right now, you can uh, see in these roundup videos, we've got like a cooperative roundup video, a family game roundup video, engine building roundup video. And you can see Tom and I just teach a whole bunch of games. But uh, before this podcast, Tom said that uh, one of those games is the 007 Deck Builder, a James Bond deck builder published by Upper Deck um that one was sent to tom and uh tom you said you just wanted to chat about it for a little bit
1: i have to tell you about 007 the james bond deck building legendary i'm so excited board game. so we're gonna get through the basics real quick basically it's a deck builder you and a collection of other players are going to try and thwart the schemes of a villain from one of four bond movies gold finger gold ni and the man with the gold N gun and wow. another one uh <laughs> i don't remember what the last one is I, casino royale so it's casino royale hey. Wait, the, the 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 new one with um
0: Broadman. man with
1: Bond. <laughs> <laughs> you know so, daniel weidman <laughs> so there's <laughs> let me get this to like so to picture this this is like big neoprene mat like in front of you and mm. that's where like all the action of the game takes place on it's a co-op game you're all trying to beat this uh mastermind and they've got this the mastermind themselves hello yes the back uh,
0: there i have a question yeah uh who are you are you all james Bond? oh we will get to that later <laughs> oh i'm sorry i'm sorry
1: <laughs> so there's this like lazy susan of evil that's like rotating in front of you with bond villains like getting kind of dolloped like dispensed onto it for you to beat up or missions to fulfill like disarming a bomb or like Rescuing a cat, and you're also recruiting specific heroes from each film from Q Branch to build your deck, which also is really funny in the uh, instruction manual where it goes shuffle the Pussy Galore deck, which is just (laughs) ridiculous. Um, And players are going to want certain kites, certain suits of cards because they can combo together if you draw more of them and make you better at fighting or recruiting. So the turn structure is: you draw an evil card, you play cards to punch that thing uh, or defeat a villain or whatever, and eventually you're going to want to fight the mastermind themselves and they've got a stack of these tactics which they'll throw like new challenges at you like odd job suddenly Uh, and you've got to do all this before the inevitable card turns up which is always like escape or something like that um and that is the basics there's lots of variability in the villains and the schemes and they introduce new rules twists and it's campy fun and that's like the pitch i didn't actually play it uh that's the concept but that's not why i want to talk about it because this game looks like decent i'm sure it's one of those things where it'll leap into life when you actually play it but one thing that continued leapt out of me was how this game refuses to tell the players who they are, um, <laughs> you must be thinking that, like, the answer is obvious, right? You're James Bond. But are you all one James Bond, or are you multiple Bondses? So I've got two head cannons for this game.
0: Oh, please. The please.
1: first is that you're all managing, uh, like, a limb or segment or, like, a, like a limb or segment <laughs> okay, of brain of Bond. Yeah. You're kind of managing his body, like you're piloting, like, a fleshy Bond mech. And this makes sense, but it also, like... It, it makes doesn't make that much sense but it does make me laugh um especially when you throw like allies into the mix who are probably like deeply confused as to why your bond is just like jambling around oh, like a corpse that's like that means weekend we... Burnies. bernie's
0: oh so, but if we decide <laughs> that one of us is like bond's left leg and that person i don't know seduces a woman or punches it's... a yeah. Foreigner. Like, you know, that then that then it's like the the leg is doing that specifically. Right. I mean, this is it's this a sexy great. racist
1: kneecap. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's the podcast title. Um so the the second headcanon is that you're all different iterations of the man who have been kind of cosmically displaced into one of the films Ooh. and are like made to cooperate with past and future versions of themselves. But isn't this that is
2: literally the plot of Casino like the the, the comedy original casino where I am? Does that not have like a million James Bonds in it? Is that not I, the whole I mean, thing?
1: I've, uh, like, I've never watched a James Bond film. So wow. So that's, that's pretty... Wait, no, I oh. watched the one with Adele. She, no, she does the, the, the singing. Oh, the one... Oh, which one was that? Because uh, the Daniel Craig was with, with Daniel Wideman. <laughs> yes, the <laughs> Daniel Wideman ones very in Quality Wild. Um, yeah, I, I think that's the only one I watched. But if that's an existing Bond plotline, that gives further evidence to my claim that the actual real intention of this game is that you're all different bonds displaced in time because it's backed up by evidence because each one of you starts with a hand of bond cards and it doesn't tell you which bond cards you should use but there is enough for each of you to have a different flavor of bond (laughs) oh really yeah so like i could have daniel weidman bond and you could have sean connor and that kind of thing yeah um but then what that what makes that even more ridiculous is that each one of you has a bond starter card which has like a bondism on it um so one of them like you might get the service weapon as your bond starter card okay, or you might it. get like bond's famous car or you might get <laughs> <laughs> or alternatively you might get like his martini order like, that's, those are the different uh, Bond starter cards, which is hilarious because this idea that, like, each one the of mart- you... Wait, one of you gets a gun, the other of which gets a cocktail recipe. <laughs> <laughs> one of you gets a card that just says, shaken, not stern. It's got a picture of martini on it. And I like the idea that, like, there's three Bonds, like, kind of, like, staggering through a compound. And one of them's like, I'll take this guy out with my gun. And the other one's like... Uh, I'll drive my car through the escape while the other Bond gets in the back and everyone's like, whee! I'm having a great time.
0: If you, Those three scenes you just described, if you don't have them at the same time, put them one after the other. You're on your way to a Bond script. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you just got to shuffle yeah. the deck and see what comes up. It's fine.
0: I mean, I believe that is the point of these games. Uh, at some right. point, I, we're going to have to have you talk about uh, your... Uh, f- fanning of your stanning of the aliens yeah trailer. yeah so
2: like the, re- the reason why i think that a lot of that seems so bizarre and surreal is that like this is part of a wider system of games so this, yes. they're both legendary encounters games and i um i'm a huge fan of the alien deck building one but just because it like that simple structure is almost exactly the same, like you're in a complex there's cards coming out like all of it. everything that Toms just said is the same for this, only instead, you can be a Ripley or you're you' you'll be a character that could show up in an aliens film to some extent. It almost manages to tell you who you are, but because the cards are still a variety of different <laughs> characters, you might all be pushing the same person around, so it is actually a bit magic maze only in terrifying space with monsters. Um, But within that framework of like quite a straightforward, like a simple thing that's been applied to lots and lots of different genres, the alien deck building game to me has some of like the cleverest individual cards and weird little mechanics that I have ever, have ever seen on a piece of cardboard. Like the thing it does, the things it does and I don't want to actually talk about them because they're effectively spoilers are so clever and I really hope... I-, I haven't heard that there's many others in that series that nail it quite as well, but I think the Alien deck building game does some really smart stuff. Well, if you stuff.
0: like... Oh, sorry, Ava, did you want to keep going?
2: Uh, no, because I've forgotten, because you interrupted so. Now I don't know what was coming after that, but...
0: <laughs> wow, good work <laughs> me. I was going to say there are no less than two Aliens official Aliens games in the Shucks preview videos. Uh, there's Aliens Bug Hunt. Which we're playing later, is- actually. Oh yeah, no, actually, Aliens Bug Hunt I was really quite impressed That's also by Upper Deck And um, you can see me teaching that game in the cooperative uh, bundle of Shucks previews on YouTube um, And I was really quite impressed by the variety of ways that game is quietly innovative um, There's also mm-hmm. a Aliens game by Gale Force 9 Which resembles uh, Star Wars Imperial Assault Um, but with aliens instead of uh, Star Wars people. So, if either of those two things sound like your kind of thing, that's over on YouTube. But, with just ten minutes left to go on the podcast, we have another couple of games to quickly rush through. And the first of that will be Auriflam. Uh, So, Auriflam was given a French, uh, I believe, game of the year, or card game of the year award. Um, I I need to stop looking at Twitch to be very excited as to when Matt will load the image. Hey! Oh he's he's good, isn't he? He's good. Oh. <clears throat> so um Aura is a uh thinky, bluffy, lighthearted card game that I think if you like Koo, which certainly should describe a lot of people, oriflam <laughs> is very similar in length and tone. Um it's kind of like Koo meets Game of Thrones meets building a really long line of cards in the middle of the table where lots of people die a lot. Mm. Um, So in this game, you've got 10 cards uh, in in your color of sort of generic fantasy betray noble person. These 10 cards are the archer, the soldier, the heir, the spy, royal decree, assassination, and others. Um, (laughs) But at the start of the game, all players will randomly not have three of those cards. And then on your turn, all you do simply is play cards into a row, face down in the middle of the table. So... If I was taking the first turn of the game, I would take one of my seven cards and put it face down. If Tom was next clockwise, Tom would choose one of his cards and put it down. And then if Ava was next, they would put down one of their cards. But all these cards would be face down. So we've now got a row of three cards, right? Then as we go through the row, um, let's let's now fast forward to turn two so the row's bigger, right? So we all have a couple of cards in it. Um... We will then go through that row from beginning to end. And so let's say it's Tom has a face down card first. Tom will then decide either to keep that card face down, at which point it gets a victory point token, or Tom flips it up, revealing to the whole table what it is. Let's say it's a soldier. And then you do whatever's written on that card. So if it's a soldier, you get to kill an adjacent card. doesn't matter if it's face down or face up. If it is, you know, a lord, you're going to get... your That lord, upon being revealed, is going to get points for as long as it's adjacent to other cards of your color but the real uh, sort of way that the, the 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 fun and the idea of the game is that um cards that are secret remain secret and remain gathering victory points forever and then when you flip them face up on a later turn any victory points that are on them because it's been face down for three or four turns you get all of them when it turns face up But about a third of the cards in the game kill other cards. So the whole game is going, okay, can I leave that card face down and then have a big bay day later? Or is someone going to assassinate or arch or snipe? Arch was meant to be an abbreviation for archer there. That didn't really work. (laughs) Um, Or soldiers are bludgeoning things to death. So, and then of course, predictably, there is a card which called conspiracy that when you turn it face up, um, it does nothing but double the amount of victory points that were sat on it before you turned it face up. So, you know, you've got cards which are ambushes and traps and you've got people going, okay, if that's a conspiracy, I need to kill it now. But if it's an ambush and I kill it, I'm going to get in trouble. So it's a lot of very gentle bluffing. A lot of... The thing I will say about Oriflam is that it is fun decisions from start to finish and it is fun surprises from start to finish. It is incredibly simple to teach. It is marvelously um, kind of quick to play. The whole game from rules teach to finish is easily done within 20 minutes. And... um, Honestly, I don't have much to say about it besides I really enjoyed it and I'm looking forward to playing it some more. Um, Tom, Ava, you could really thicken up this segment by asking me a good question. But we could just move on. <laughs> I
1: <laughs> refuse. You know, it sounds it sounds a little bit to me like a game that I got recommended a while ago called Brutal Kingdom, uh, which is published by Cosmos. I can't remember who it's designed by. But there's similar little games that like I think those i've got so much time for those games that just effortlessly go from opening the box to stabbing your friend in the back <laughs> yes <laughs> incredibly okay quickly. you know what you've already you've set me rolling again thank you tom
0: uh so the <laughs> thing I, the thing about Aurafan that's nice is the first thing that anyone does on the first turn is put a card face down and immediately the game's off like the game those in the game is yes. sort of the foot because it's that like well what's that you know, even if you're dealing with people who don't play many card games, simply that act of putting a card face down and everyone going, what is it? <laughs> you know, is it something that's going to kill my point generation card if I put it next to it? Like that, that's probably the sales pitch for Flam. It's do you like the sound of you put a card down, your friend goes, what's that? Your friend puts down another card. And then in the first re- resolution of the first turn, you turn that card face up and it kills everything in the row. That, and your friends are like, well, why would you play that now? You know, it reminds me of Libertalia as well. Um, I will say that. So if you like card games like Coup and Libertalia that generate a lot of big laughs and unfortunate sort of sequences events, I would say definitely uh, give Flam a shot. And uh, probably um, not covering it properly in the podcast, but just teasing maybe more coverage on the site. Should we talk about New York Zoo just a little bit, Tom? We can
1: just have a little sprinkle. Maybe we should, maybe, maybe we'll give a tease. This is something we've never Ooh. done before. For the next week's podcast. I or love it. Whatever. I love it you ready for the tease i think new york zoo is a good game
0: yes <laughs> you heard it here first everybody well probably not because i think other places are talking about this being a good game uh this is by
1: Uwe rosenberg right yes it's Uwe rosenberg uh, published by capstone and foyerland um you know I'll, I'll keep it brief by saying look i will live up to my uh family name in this podcast um because i played this one with my family and i think it fills this lovely niche because my family understood it completely and instantly it's got super approachable art and iconography and it's unbelievably tactile um to give a basic rundown of what the game is it's a tetromino tile laying game with very cute little wooden animals and if you fill your park with these tetromino tiles then you win instantly but you also want to fill them with that you want to fill those individual enclosures with animals as well because you'll get to put down attractions which help you fill your grid even quicker and they also give you little extra tiles that will like fill the awkward spaces which is hilarious thematically because uh if you fill up a kangaroo enclosure with kangaroos you get rid of all the kangaroos and replace them with a hot dog stand which <laughs> 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 makes me laugh every time you do it. Um Sorry, there's that al- really got me. There was also something wonderful about we played this on stream as well and <laughs> I taught the game to Matt and Matt looked very confused at me for a few seconds and then just went "Why don't I just build a big park full of cages?" And then I was like "No you've got to put animals in the cages." Yeah, but why? <laughs> why don't I just build cages (laughs) and the concept of like just doing it like well firstly because it's fun and also (laughs) because you get all these bonuses but um but yeah the premise is you're trying to fill this zoo and i taught it to my family and they understood it instantly they really enjoyed it both times we played it they were asking to play it again and also though the thing that it doesn't fall into like they really like pictures if you listen to a couple podcasts ago we talked about pictures and that was a game that my whole family tacked onto instantly and really liked but i felt like Oh, it's not quite. It's not gamey mm, enough. I want. Mm. I want a proper game. You know that they brought that kind of instinct out. Of yeah. Me. New York Zoo has got enough in it that makes it definitely like. There's enough in there that will satisfy any age range. Like it's truly that like Lego. You know, nine to ninety nine sort of demographic where you can get really thinking about it, but then ultimately your decisions will hinge on players doing things that you don't expect. And then all your like thinky thoughts can be beaten by your 10-year-old sister who decided to fill a an enclosure with flamingos and get the last piece so I couldn't get them. But we're not going to hold grudges on this podcast. (laughs) Um, I mean, you're welcome to... You can hold the grudge, but you can release the grudge
0: next podcast when we talk about New York Zoo property. And you give it a big old recommendation. And I'm going to force you to answer the question out of two capstone games that feature animals and tiles... Is it uh, New York Zoo or ReNature that you prefer? But hold your tongue, young Brewster, because we're going to be hearing all about that on Podcast 121,
1: and oh. that's going to wrap
0: it up for us. I believe. Um, thank you to, uh, well, thanks Ava and Tom uh, so much for uh, being uh, great as always. Uh, d- thank you. Thank me. Thank, <laughs> thank the, you. The thank Quins you, Quinn, for, for
2: being a bit. Thanks, mean. boss.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't worry, it was all in the name of uh, content, and <laughs> no, that's really I, the I, I should, content gods
2: are satisfied.
0: <laughs> Thank and also thanks to everybody watching along on Twitch. Uh, we have got uh, if you've enjoyed this, goodness me, you have got uh, three solid days of programming. Uh, so uh, and also thanks to Matt for uh, overcoming those technical hurdles. Thank you at home for listening to the podcast. Cheers, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.